A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey guys, welcome back to Rick Shields Golf Show Podcast. Everybody, I'm your host, Rick Shields. I'm here with co-host Guy, episode 124. Well We've done. got a fantastic guest on today, Zane Scotland. Thank you for joining us. Obviously, you've got a hell of a history in golf. Well, I've been around for a while, haven't I? Which is not, <laughs> not a great thing, is it? Um, <laughs> great to have you. Thanks for coming up. You've travelled up on train from London today to your kind of original birthplace manchester yeah can you not tell by my accent it's uh, not coming through <laughs> well already i we spoke on the as you got off the train you sound like a united fan which from, you are from london yeah like most of us yeah. well yeah i think today i think today's podcast is one that we were saying before it's our, our kind of off podcast that we've very recently had some amazing guests and i must admit I'm not saying this because you sat in front of me your story which i know loosely and obviously you're going to explain to us in more depth is one that really excites me because how, I, mean, I would class you as a kind of a PJ, well, not a PJ golf coach, actually, a golf coach, which is something we talked about in the car before. But let's start with what you are or what you describe yourself as now, Zane, and let's go back and tell this story because I'm fascinated. Um, well, well, first and foremost, I'm a golf lover. I've, I've been obsessed by golf since I was since I started when I was 11 years old, uh, you know, chipping, chipping in the back garden, dragging my dad out, out of his pit at half five in the morning to go play nine holes before school. And it before is school you before got school, play. yeah. We would, in the summer we would do that. And it's the same it's the same today. Like on the way up here, I'm I'm on, on on the train sitting there on my own thinking about this like kind of hand movement on the downswing. <laughs> it's been a good feeling over the last few days. Like it's the same now, you know, however many years in. It was when you stood up in the middle of the carriageway yeah. and you start, <laughs> yeah. started to pretend impact. I was waking off the train with a seven iron. <laughs> <laughs> so you love golf? Yeah, I, yeah, I love golf. Love all, all the aspects of it. And I think now I, I played competitively for a, a long time, which, you know, which, which was amazing. You know, there was lots of goods and lots of bads as well. And then now, you know, it's almost come, become full circle. And now I, I enjoy like, the stories in golf and watching the top of the game and then just, just playing with like playing with my, with my pals and so forth. And I'm just really, really fortunate to be in, in just some different areas in golf now. And it's not just playing as much as I you know, loved competing. It's quite, um, it's quite stressful at times. I, I must admit, I could imagine it being ridiculously hard work playing. Like we've, we've had, we spoke to a few tour pros and even ex tour pros and I must admit, as much as it looks like the best life ever, playing these phenomenal golf courses mm. for ridiculous amounts of money, 
I think unless you're in that world, you can't fully relate to actually how stressful, strenuous, um, kind of gut-wrenching it is, especially if you don't play well. If you don't play well, you, 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 it's not just a Saturday medal. Well, I was chatting some lads in the pro shop at the weekend. I was telling them about how hard it is to make it, which, again, you're going to tell us even more depth, I guess. But I said to them, imagine if we weren't playing four holes now and we play for whoever buys lunch and you've got a putt to win. You might be a little bit, ooh, a bit nervous over this. Let's now say we're saying the same match, but we're going to play for a brand new iPhone. You get more nervous again. Now let's say we're playing again four holes, but you're paying for your mortgage and your car and your bills. That must just be intense. Yeah, I mean, if you're, when you're into that, you know, like the private jet part of golf, a top end of golf, it's a little bit different because you're playing on house money and life's all great. But the bit up to that, the things you said there, it it taps into so many things, all the survival things. So the, the roller coaster of emotions that you can go into in around the golf is just it's mental. Like in, and even when I play now and again, like even now in some just some, uh, some small events, there are stages when you know the round's going okay, and then the round slips a little bit, and then all those thoughts kind of come dragging back. And I have to sometimes remind myself, go like, no, this is not my full time job yeah. anymore. Like <laughs> chill, like just chill. Like it's you know we go again tomorrow sort of thing. But but um, you know. Places like Q School and and that sort of stuff, it really does. Looking back on it now, and also coaching that coaching some players who are on the way up, and you know trying to make it, and dealing with them, trying to remind them, um, you know, that, to put things in, into perspective. But really, like, com- completely empathise with what's going on. Like the end of last year, I went to um, I went to the Euro Pro Q School just for a bit of fun, really, because I needed to get affiliated uh, for some uh, to the PJ for some proams I'm playing in this year. And it was really interesting being there and being around some, some younger players and just just you could just feel the tension even at the first stage and at the final stage, you know, it was everyone's being dead quiet and you could just see the nerves on them and they're making a couple of times I had my power caddy in for me who used to play and a couple of times one of the one or two of the lads would like they would go to do something. You almost want to go over like, mate, just chill. Chill for a sec, just yeah. make it Terrible decision, but it's just it's the nerves that come into it. Well, when, what year was it when we went to Lumina? Was that nineteen? Um, it was ni- maybe eighteen or nineteen. We went to Lumina final qualifying over in Spain, and it was it was a really tense <sighs> day, wasn't it? Oh. This, we're there for the final day, and we actually picked six players to do a little mini documentary on. Three of them actually ended up qualifying, and three of them didn't. But it was it was weirdly like eerie. It was like that's the word. Oh, eerie. Eerie. It was, it was like, right on the rain before. Like the rain. People are there. The practicing. The hitting balls. But nobody's really talking mm. because everybody is so like on edge that they have. This is the big shot. They have to do what they need to do. They have to get into that top whatever. A very very small percentage. Yeah. And uh, it was it was it was like a weird but, eerie. Like I almost felt guilty for smiling and having a nice day in the sunshine <laughs> because you're like looking at these guys yeah. and they've just got fear in Stress. their eyes. Yeah. But even then, though, they do well enough to get onto the European tour. That doesn't guarantee them every event. Yeah. And some of the match, like Jeff, Jeff Winther's gone to do well, and Daniel Gavins has. But some of the guys, though, that get on tour, I mean, that in itself is an incredible achievement. But then it's just so hard to maintain your card and make a viable career out there. Yeah. I, it's so tough. Yeah. I mean, uh, being able to have some sort of perspective, which you're probably seeing with someone like Richard Bland now, you know, he's mm. kind of got going, kind of knows, knows the run of how it all works and a bit of confidence. But it's just that that part of, as you say, you want to get to the tour. Then it's like, okay, the first stage, can you keep your card and so forth. And then and then there's al- there's always small parts. There's always a, like a level up. It's, for a lot of people, it's a dream to get to the tour. You get to the tour, you're like, I'm not in every event now. Yeah. And then you get into the point where you keep your card for the first year, and now you're like, well, 
But then those guys ahead of me, they're in WGCs or they're winners. There's yeah. always another level. There there's always that little piece that tells you, like, by the way, you're not good enough yet. You're not good enough yet. It's even like someone like, was it John Rahm that quite recently said that, obviously, at the time, this was uh, pre-recorded. Uh, he said this before last week. He was number one in the world. Obviously, Scott Scheffler's just taken over that mantle. But he said, like, he doesn't feel like he's going to complete golf until he like, overtakes, like, Jack Nicholas's yeah. major records. Well, that's it. Also, it's like... I bet Tiger's the same. Yeah. yeah. I bet Tiger's not happy. Yeah, does. Is that the only we're, person... We're we're actually a little bit like Tiger, that's what you're, what you're <laughs> saying here. Yeah. I'm a little bit like yeah. Tiger. I wonder if the only person that's ever really, truly happy is Jack Nicholas. And he's thinking all them seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he have like 20 odd yeah. seconds or yeah, something? Yeah. Crazy. So, yeah. a little brief things that you've obviously done. You've played in the Open Championship at the age of 16, yeah. which is just. I need to hear crazy. this story. That is that. Because <laughs> aren't you the youngest player that's ever gone through qualifying to get into the Open? Yes, the young, yeah, youngest to go through the qualifiers. Yeah, so you did regional right. qualifying? The regionals, yeah. And then final qualifying, mm. and then playing the Open mm. at Carnoustie in 99. Yeah, yeah Carnoustie, yeah. How? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Explain. Like, obviously, I, you were off plus two at the time, mm. I believe. So you were an elite kind of junior. Well, you were a junior golfer. How did that come about? Was it on a whim? Did you just think I'm going to enter this year? How did you get to playing in the Open? Well, it wasn't actually, I wasn't thinking about that too much, to be honest with you. I, I, my coach at the time, a guy called Scott Cranfield, he suggested at the beginning of that year, uh, now you're now you're scratched because I was scratched at the beginning, you should do Open qualifying. It, was, it wasn't even on my radar. I didn't even know that's how it worked. You know? It was just for you at that time, it was just another event to play in. Because yeah, you were exactly. probably playing loads of events. Yeah, you know, when I was a kid, you just like, I'm, I'm more worried about playing the junior medal tomorrow. <laughs> Rather than you telling me something in six months, you know, it's, yeah. it's a long time. Then. How, how are you going to spend your twos money yeah, <laughs> this yeah, weekend? Yeah. <laughs> have, have I got a brand new Bellata to use tomorrow? So, yes. Yeah, that sort of thing. Um, and it just kind of, you know, I was playing quite well that summer. And then when it came around, I guess a, a, a li little bit of naivety would have come in. I went to the first stage and um, I took my power who was going to caddy for me. So I was 16, he was 14. <laughs> and we arrive at Romford Golf Club and we're going to the pro shop and bought, bought a, um, a course planner, for the, uh, the club one. Went round to the office and they give you like the fancy one, don't they? So I'd, I'd given that other course plan to my pal. Went into the office, got the fancy course planner, which is obviously in black and white, but it's got all the numbers. You know, really detailed. More numbers than you can ever imagine you're ever going to need. And I come out and I was just looking at this thing going, this is unbelievable, this. This is so good. And um, so I go to show my pal Mikey. So look at this, look how good it is. And he looks at it and he gets his one next to it, which is in colour. <laughs> it has like the 150 post and, you know, 175. And he just goes, oh, that's rubbish. Not even in colour. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh my God. And then, then there was someone there to give you golf balls. You know, you get your, your, your dozen or two dozen golf balls in the glove and, you, and there's pros around. And as a kid, you're just like, this is the biggest thing. Uh, I mean, world. at that time, did you feel like you were a competitor? Is it hard to kind of rewind to that point? Did you feel like you deserved to be competing? Or did you actually feel like a kid that was almost spectating? Um, I guess it was a, yeah, it, I hadn't. I think before I got there, I hadn't really thought about it too much because you don't do when you're a kid. No. And then when I arrived, I was a bit like, oh, there's loads of pros here, you know, uh, like club pros, and you know, like it just kind of named you a, load kind of, of, a load of old men. Yeah, to you. literally a like, load of old blokes and whatever. <laughs> um, and then someone was giving you stuff like I was like, this is. A, like, you literally felt like I was a tour player at this point. Now wow. you're going, this is this is good life, isn't it? This is this is nice. And um, yeah, and I was I was pretty nervous. Um, I think, and I probably shot one under par. And I actually didn't actually get, like, I didn't actually qualify on the day. So I got, like, a alternate spot. Like a reserve. A reserve spot. And um, I think I was, it was probably 30-second reserve. So I'm walking away from there thinking, it was, it was in a playoff, I earned the spot. 
Um, and then I kind of left there thinking, oh, that will probably won't get in. Little did I know, everyone was like, oh, no, that would definitely get in. And then one of my other pals, he had qualified a different course. And they were, and him and his mate were caddying, were going up to Scotland, driving up. And they said, look, and I was thinking, oh, when I get in, when I not get in? They said, look, just, we'll go in, jump in the car, and we'll, we'll have a, you know, come up, play practice rounds where we are, and see if you get in. So I was like, yeah, fine. So, you know, I'm just there. Why just not? With, with the boys, you know, just, you know, doing a road trip to Scotland. And... um I was friends with a, a, a guy from my club back home, a guy called Michael Lunt, who went on, he did actually go on to be the captain of the RNA. He worked for the RNA at the time and he happened he happened to be the delegate at the course that I was, that my pal was at. So I was doing practice rounds there. Had a couple of nice days. And then 7.30 the night before, so in those days, the qualifying used to be Sunday and Monday before the Open. So the Irish Open would finish. Did it really? Yeah. And then, wow. And that's, and wow. Then, and I, didn't really, I actually never realised that. Yeah. So the Irish Open would finish on a Saturday. Then they would know who's in and out. So basically, a bunch of calls go out Saturday night to say like, you're oh in the way. next day. So I was like on the sixteenth hole, say like Zane, you're in and you're here in the place I'd actually been practicing for a couple of days. Which at the time I was like, oh, that's cool. But now I think, yeah, he probably he probably you know sorted that out that I got that venue. Bangled that, yeah, yeah. did yeah. it? Nice. Maybe, maybe not. I, I would never know. <laughs> Unfortunately, he's passed away now. Oh no. And um, yeah, so then yes, yeah, so and the next next thing I knew, I was on the you know on the tee at now at final qualifying, and I was playing with. Um, Sergio Garcia had won the Irish Open, so I took his spot, which meant I got to play with uh, Robert Allenby. So I had quite a good, quite a good draw. You and actually I, took Sergio's spot, basically. Yeah, yeah, That's class. Literally took his spot. So then that got me with Robert Robert Allenby. <laughs> Imagine if they hadn't changed the name on the tee from Spain, <laughs> Sergio Garcia, and you turn up. I know, fellas, yeah. it's only me. <laughs> then right. So then this, this is the next part. So I'm now super nervous. I'm playing with Robert Allenby, who I've watched on television, yeah, top player. Get on the first tee and. You know, there's a bunch of people watching, and I skied my first t-shirt. Natural proper skied it. Oh skied it. It was just like, just kind of short right at the fairway. <laughs> I was just I was uh, I was mad nervous, and then on about the third hole, he comes over and he says, "Look, you got to stop walking on my through line. It's getting a bit annoying now." And I was just thinking, you know, I'm a kid. I'm just, I'm just thinking, I don't have a clue what he's talking what about. My <laughs> caddy wants to go and punch him. And I'm just like, <laughs> oh, I'm just going to leave you to this. Like, and then the other playing partner, he came across. And I kind of knew him a little bit because I'd met him before somewhere. He was like a, he was a, a rep uh, for a shaft company, and he went over and he's like, "Right, Robert, don't you try and pull that, you know, that sh with me." Did he? It's like all happening like third or fourth fairway. I was like, "Oh my god!" And then on the fifth hole, fifth or sixth, I laid up on the par five. And I kind of like kind of semi shanked a wedge shot, and it went right at the green. And at that and at that point, I, all the pressure went out. I just thought, "Well, it can't get any worse than this." And from that point, I literally did not put a foot wrong. I, I chipped and putted, and then I just played mustard for the next two rounds. What? Just 36 and holes. 36 holes. Just played, yeah, played really well. I listened to a, um, a Bob Rotella putting out of your mind cassette. Oh, yeah. On the way up, you know, you like turn it over. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's the other side. <laughs> and I just, that was in my head, and I just hold everything. I just didn't put a foot wrong. And, um, yeah, in those days, it was probably eight spots got in. Um, I think I was third or fourth. Wow. In the qualifying. But, you know, just... And, and Paul the, Laurie... The rubber again. So he... He uh, uh, he wasn't very popular, to say the least, because he had a lot of people walking around. He was very rude to... He was rude to some people walking no around. Way. Yeah, like people moving and... Oh, all this God, sort of stuff. diva. Yeah, he was being a bit of a diva. <laughs> and he left... He actually left the course in a strop. And it, as it turned out, he actually got into a playoff, but he'd already gone to the... Oh, my uh, word. He'd already gone to the airport, yeah. He was a minus three, three underplayed off. 
Yeah. What? what a mistake that yeah. was. So, uh, well, did you realise like going down the th- like the the eighteenth hole, the thirty sixth hole, that you had a chance, or did it not not know till you got in? Like, because surely that must been nerve wracking. Yeah, you know, you like you know, like you're right there in the mix. So the first round, I was maybe four under, so I knew I was in the frame. And the next day, you're kind of going out thinking like, just not got to mess up here, you know, got to keep going. And then you kind of know because there's more and more people coming out to watch. So I didn't know the exact number, but you're like, I'm under par here. This is probably looking pretty good. And I think I hold a, um, I got a plug bunker shot on about the fifteenth, and I hold it out the plug bunker shot. Oh my! God. Uh, I'm, at that point, I was thinking like, right, this is I've got a hold on here. This is this is going to be it. And and do you remember a lot of this at sixteen? Yeah. Like, is it really etched into your mind? I remember bits of it. Like I remember yeah, the bad first tee shot. Yeah. I remember the semi shot. I remember the whole bunker shot. I remember the the putt going in on the last hole. Wow. I actually I had a I had a bladed two iron. I remember hitting two iron off the eighteenth. And uh, he's coming straight out the middle. But like, like now, I'm thinking about that, bloody hell. Why did you... Like, yeah, yeah, why why did that was brave. That was a 16-year-old. Yeah. And were you quite an old 16-year-old? Um, like, did you have an old head on you or were you... I don't think I, so. I feel like me at 16, yeah. I just wouldn't have been in that mindset. But in a bizarre way, I think that, that almost like they said, the naivety can help yeah. you in some regard. I'd have been turning up in my Burberry hat <laughs> and, and my Jalen the Berg striped white pinstripe belt. pants and my white belt and my sweatband. Foot joy classics. And shot like 93. <laughs> <laughs> like, I would have, I, I, I wouldn't have 16. I don't think I would have been in the right headspace. I think I was, I'd played well for a few weeks up to it. So, so the week before, uh, maybe, a week, maybe two weekends before, I'd won a junior open to which I won like... Um, this is this is quite funny actually. So I'd won like two wedges like for winning it. So like they were straight in the bag, <laughs> and I had I had this old driver which I'd cut down, uh, which had a rattle, and because I cut it down, it was like really light. It just didn't go properly. So I was then so then I was teeing off mainly with a three wood, which I'd swapped with my mate, like just before, lit- literally before a junior medal the month before, and it was a regular shaft and it was really whippy. But I, I figured out if you swung it really slow, it would just like kind of kick and go off like a rocket. And then I was borrowing my dad's clubs because my one was a two whippy. And my putter, I swapped at a county game with one of my other pals. See, so I was lot, literally I'll playing a whole like, bag of stuff. Ev- everything you've just said then reminds certainly me of when I was like 100% 15, the swapping 60. clubs. Yeah. I used to love swapping clubs. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't it? Yeah. Like you th- I, sw- I used to swap so often it was ridiculous with putters or drivers yeah. or I remember swapping some Adidas Tour three sixties for a Cobra five hybrid one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just random. Which way around did that go? So I got the hybrid. Oh right. Yeah. The shoes were too small, <laughs> so I fancied a little hybrid. Again, it was regular, it was too soft, but you swung it a certain yeah. way and it worked. Yeah. Isn't it funny like as a kid or, or any golf event really, you've played well, you've won, yet you win golf clubs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, bit of a weird concept. I remember though, once the longest drive comp won a driver, which I, I thought was bizarre. Yeah, don't get that. Yeah, don't but, get that. But what all. else can you give? Really, that's substantial, like maybe a golf bag or yeah, I don't know. I, I've always found golf prizes are strange because yeah. typically, if you've won it, you've played well, and you end up winning something that might interfere. You can't with beat you. just Pro V ones, dozens upon dozens of just balls. balls. Yeah, yeah. Balls but they just don't helps. always look as like visually pleasing no, do they on a presentation play. table no. like some guy walking out with a golf bag or a driver looks like he's won more than a guy with three boxes of balls even though the value actually might be more with the balls yeah. so that's great so you, off yeah. you went to Carnoustie yeah so that's that's it so you play Sunday Monday and then um, you know then we went to went to Carnoustie Monday night and we had obviously nowhere to stay so you know I was just sitting there you know with one of my powers probably playing a Game Boy or something like that while my dad was like Probably going going out of his mind trying to find somewhere for us to stay. And was he up in Scotland with you at so this he, point? He drove up after I had a good first round because he probably did. Thought, he really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. He drove no up way. literally like through the night. Yeah. 
So um, yeah, so he drove up. So that was cool. And uh, yeah, and Tuesday, and Tuesday, you're you're on the range. So you what? go from that go from literally ridiculous. a junior open to like down the range, and Dan Clark's there. Greg Norman's like right behind me, and it was just you know I'm I'm just there hitting balls, but in a weird way. Then my dad came over going like this is amazing, but I'm just like going like what are you talking about? Because I'm thinking I've watched golf, I've watched these guys. Like he's like there's like there's Greg Norman. I'm like yeah, well, like thinking like I watch him on telly. Like I'm 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 just happy that I've got his brand new Pro V's to come and hit like off this tight surf. That's what I'm I'm interested in that. And then uh, yeah, then you're into the whole like all of a sudden now getting given clubs and do you want to come on the van and get like six pairs of shoes and you know do you need a golf bag all that sort of stuff. And then at some point you're like, oh, I probably need to go and play a patch around that course over there. But you're so, as a kid, you're just thinking, what, I can just walk on there and just take stuff. They're like, yeah, what, what do you need? Like, oh, I'd like a new driver. Like, well, okay, well, should we make you two then? I'm like, yeah, right. I, well, I owe my mate, I owe my mate a putter. So yeah. <laughs> can I get a 33-inch yeah. putter? And, yeah. uh, I've got another mate who's left-handed. Can I get a left-handed wedge? Well, what, what was a lot of media sniffing around and stuff then? Because, again, it's, it, a 16-year-old who's qualified, that must have been... Very, very unusual. I said the youngest ever. Yeah, there was actually. Um, there was. Cause I, you know, I kind of did the interview straight away that, like, the day that I qualified and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And then, the, then Sky did some stuff. So to like, you know, um, right, we're going to film you putting your clubs in the car and driving off, and that sort of stuff, waving out the window, like like, like you wave out the window when you drive away from the golf cart. <laughs> all that sort of stuff. Of course so, you do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the queen. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so there was quite a bit. But again, you know, being quite like, I almost, well, I think when I got there, I think because I'd like watched it and go, and I'd love watching the PJ Tour and so forth. In your head, you're thinking, and also at 14, I made that decision. Where I was like, I'm going to be a golfer. Yeah. And there was no, there's no other reason to, that we all know now. There's a million reasons. But that when you're 14, you don't realise there's any reason why you shouldn't be able to do anything you of want course. to do. So I kind of like, I guess in my head, maybe bought into it anyway. So when it came along, I was like, yeah, it's fine. I, I wasn't very good at it, obviously. Um, not very good now still. But you know, it was you were good enough. Pretty, yeah. You were pretty good. It was like yeah. Um, and did you have like? Did you have like at that point? You're in the open. You're 16. Did you have? Did you have like managers come in sniffing around? Did you have like sponsors? Did did suddenly you get like a you know a big wig in a suit going? Hey Zane, nice to meet you, Mister Whoever. Let's sign you up. Well, I, I think my dad was kind of like fielding a few. There were a few, obviously, like the IMGs and. So there were a few management managers that had come to chat to us. Apparently, the guy that looked after Tiger at Nike came and walked a few holes, that sort of stuff. But I mean, my dad was like, he was like, he loved all that sort of stuff. Did That's it? rough. He's, yeah, he's good at that sort of stuff. Um, so, he, so he was entertaining the chats. Yeah, he was loving all that that bit of it, and he was doing. Yeah, he was doing all that, and I was just there playing golf. To be honest, I didn't, I didn't know half. I get told stuff by my my by my mum, my dad, and my sister now. But that week, I was like, I oh, did it. I didn't have a clue. Oh my didn't, god! Uh, you know. I think even on the morning that I was playing, they still had to get me out of bed. I still didn't get out of bed till about eleven o'clock or something like that. Oh I was just word. just a, I was I was always pretty laid back, and I just kind of took it all weird, weirdly took it in my stride. And when I look back now, I think, what was I doing? Like, should have been like bouncing off the well, wall. Do you, you think you would have done it different now, looking back? Um, slightly. I got I got to play again in two thousand and ten. Uh, by this point, I was a professional golfer, and it was a very I was determined to make it a very different experience uh, for that one. Because the first time around, you just really just no exactly. This is great, and like <laughs> you're an amateur, meet, sixteen, meet people, no yeah. pressure. Who did you play with? Can you remember? I played with um, I played with a guy called I think it was Lee, uh, Lee Thompson, who was a local. Lee pro. West, uh, mm-hmm. West, yeah. what's he called? <laughs> and then uh, Warren Bennett. But in the practice rounds, I played with uh, Per Ulrich Johansson. I don't know if you remember yeah, him. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Ryder Cup player. 
um, played a few holes with Parnovic, Phil Price. Nice. Um, yeah, just uh, yeah, that was that was cool just to play the practice rounds with those guys and chat to them. And you know, I remember like Pear was giving me he was giving me little tips on every hole, like oh, links go off. You got to make sure you switch off, and switch on. You know, when you go from left to right, wind to right to left winds, that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, it's, 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 and it's just a mayhem. It's a mayhem week. There's just there's probably so many little stories I could go into. Did you have ambitions for that week then, or we just kind of like you said? Did you start thinking I want to make the cut, or I want to win this, or we just literally just enjoying every moment? Yeah, honestly, I didn't know. Yeah, I just enjoyed every moment. Really, all my mates came up. You know, some of them stayed in the tent. You know, some of them like ended up being in our house when we stayed there. That was just magic, really. Going down the in the first round, I was turning off at four o'clock in the first round, and I'd seen like. Vijay Singh shot like 83. Marco Mira, he was defending champion. He shot like 81. So I knew it was like, this is not like a normal uh, mm. pro event. And it was, but I was still, I was about I don't know, maybe four or five over going down the ninth hole. I'd heard that Sergio started like poorly. And I'm thinking, oh, this is bad, you know, like five over par already, you know, it could be embarrassing. And I went over to, to the gallery because my mates were there and I said to him, what did, uh, what did Sergio shoot? And he went, he shot 89. And I just went like the pressure went, went out of yeah. my body. I was like, I'm going to beat that. Shot 89 yeah, in the was, opening round of yeah. And he was and he was and he had won the previous week. Oh my god! Yeah, it was brutal. It was brutal. But you know, I was just cruising around. I'm 16 years it. old. Yeah, whatever. That's amazing. Yeah. So then, fast forward. So when did you actually turn pro from that? So you're 16, just playing the open. Was it a few years later? Then you turned pro. Yeah. So I turned pro probably when I was 20. Okay. 20 or 21. Yeah. So I w- so then uh, yeah, I kind of went back and did the amateur stuff. You know, I played for England and played for GB and I and played all the amateur events and, you know, kind of got, you know, kind of got better and, you know, obviously taller and a bit stronger and that sort of stuff. And then when it dealt with the other stuff, yeah, then kind of turned pro when I was 20. I had a car crash just before I turned pro. Oh, God. Um, and I, I did about, I did turn pro about three months after that, but I probably wasn't quite ready. Really? Was it a bad car crash? Yeah, just like, you know, someone was turning right into my road. You know, she was looking left, but turning right. And, you know, anyway, so that was, I, I did my neck in. And so the oh. first couple of years of being a pro, I didn't really have like a full run. It was always like, right, don't play for four months. We'll do all the treatments and so forth. Then we'll try and play, which when you're playing at that level, Can't, you cannot you? get away with that. Cannot get away with it. So it was, I had some profile to get some invites, but I never really, I didn't really press on with them. And it, oh was, it was difficult. And I, went and, pl- and I went down and played the Asian tour for a little while, but I had to come back because my neck was like, um, so I got my card there but I had to come back my neck was playing up and then, then I just kind of like I'd finally after about four years of being a professional it was you know it was tough really from being like finding everything really easy to then all of a sudden like finding everything really really difficult and you ask yourself loads of questions you think it's you think it's you you think oh what's wrong with me but when I look back I was like I wasn't really I couldn't really do it like practice or no. put in the time that you need to to be at that level yeah. and you get found out quickly at that level and then I found the treatment which made my neck better. And then re- and then I just I was playing a bit of Euro Pro and Challenge Tour. And um I went across to do the French Open qualifying, which I wasn't gonna go to. Um my dad had talked me into it because one of my pals was driving from Germany across to France. Um and he said, Look, I said, Look, I know you said you're tired, but you can, you got a week off. You might as well go and do the qualifying and then, you know, then you come home after that. So I went down there and we got we got lost. We got lost like driving overnight to this golf course. We couldn't find a hotel. So then we had to drive. Basically, we thought we'll just find the airport because there would be a hotel at the airport. So then we're still like two hours away from the venue, having had no practice round. And it was 36 holes. So we had to get up early. We literally arrived like 15, 20 minutes before 
tee off for the what? qualifying for the French <laughs> Open. I love all the little stories yeah, like this. I, had to, I went into the pro shop to buy a t-shirt because more t-shirts were, you know, smelly from the week before. And uh, I had about, I had time to hit probably eight balls before, before these two rounds of qualifying for the French Open. And uh, after about three balls, I just thought of like a, uh, a drill that John Jacobs had given to me um, probably like near a year previous. Just suddenly popped it into your mind. It just came to my head. Again. I thought, I'll just try that. And I hit a lovely shot. And I thought, I'll do that again. And did another one again. And then, you know, you just go, what about I work with driver? Got a driver out. And just hit like, I hit like four or five balls, just really on a piece of string. I was like, well, I've got to go now on the tee. <laughs> and, and it was the weirdest thing. I just, I had probably 36 of the best holes, best golf I've played. Just from start, from first to last. And the one that qualified by about six shots. Just, just weirdly enough, oh just popped way. into my head. Just completely randomly off the back of no sleep like a red ball on the way to the tee. And um, then that got that got me into the uh, uh, in, into the French Open. And I mean, my mum was that Where was that played? That was at Golf National. Oh, really? Yeah. What year, so what year was that this? That was uh, 2007. Yeah, 2007. And literally, yeah, my mum lent me some money to go, you know, to to go to, um, to uh, my mum lent me 500 quid to go to the Challenge the week, the week before. Then I qualified. Then one of my dad's mates, we played, I played a random pro-am he, you know, he's an electrician. He, he gave me 600 quid. You know, get, make yourself, get yourself a proper caddy. So like, luckily through Scott, um, Scott Cranfield, he knew Phil Price. So he was like, oh, we had caddies having a week off. So yeah, you can use him for a week. And then, um, yeah, just kind of went into the French Open all like completely like, this is great. You know, like I remember looking down the list thinking, right, if you make the cut, you know, you, you get like 7,000 euros, which at that time was like, I'll take that. Of course. And then I was, and I was playing quite well. Took my John Jacobs like little tip basically. Can you remember what it was? Yeah, it was um yeah, it was good. I'll, I'll share it with you. Um in a <laughs> sec. Yeah. Um yeah, and uh yeah, I played I made the cut and then you're just like, Well, I've made the cut now. You know, I've I'm I'm yeah, at that point you feel like you're playing. Well oh, that's like, it. You you've yeah, you're seven you're already I'm seven quid. grand. You're definitely gonna make seven grand. Exactly. And then kind of cruising on and playing Graham with Graham Storm and one behind with him. With about six to play, one one behind the lead. So yeah, so he had. The, I didn't know at the time, but I knew we were up there. And then he basically parred in because the golf national was really difficult. I didn't yeah, put, yeah. I didn't, I didn't do too much wrong, but dropped a couple of shots in the way. Was in. it quite new then? Because didn't it get built for the Ryder Cup or not? Was it no, remodeled? It was, it was been there for a while. Oh, I did. Yeah, right, okay. As, as I understand it, um, it's, it's not that old, is it? But it was. No, I thought it'd been built just for the Ryder Cup. To uh, be honest, right? right. Yeah, it's been there for quite a while. So then he parred in and won the tournament. So I was literally shaking the hand of the winner. Oh my goodness! Um, at a main European tour event, really. So that was uh, I, I bogeyed a couple of holes, dropped back to like tenth. But from where I'd been, this is now amazing. Now I had a you know, a, so you a, made a proper check. check. Yeah, I made that. It was about seventy thousand euro, and I was wow. thinking all of a sudden I've gone from borrowing five hundred quid off my mum. That's ridiculous. Like a seventy thousand euro check. What? Did she add interest? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I had to borrow a telly had, or something like that. He had interest, and so did, uh, she did, and so did the electrician that you played with yeah, the week before. It still wouldn't be enough to pay her back. <laughs> That's great. That you had a good year. I've been looking, and you had a good year that year. That must yeah. have been what year is this then? 2007. Yeah, I was the back of nothing really, and then I was at the time a management company, IMG. They, you know, having not really heard from him for ages because we don't play very well, you don't hear from him. All of a sudden, walk off the back of the 18th green. He's like, yeah. <laughs> by the way, you're in next week. We, you know, and that that kind of that juggernaut uh, picks up, and I went to the Deutsche Bank. Um, got into that, and I was actually I was leading off two rounds, and then um, just, you know just went through all those periods where I just couldn't put a foot wrong. I wow! The third round, I was six under through five holes, and then I had a putt to go seven under through six and three putted. <sighs> but anyway, but then uh, again, it just got me into the next week. That got me into the next week, and um, yeah, just just you go through times in golf where every putt lips out, 
every cut you could you get close to, you missed by a shot. And I just went through a period where every putt that was on the lip fell in. Dropped in. Every cut I got near to, I made. You know, it was just I just got on that run. Like I went to Russia. Um, I was one outside the cut line playing the last hole. And I was thinking, oh, it's going to be the first cut I missed. Cause I think I played like maybe three or four events until then. And then I hold my hold my shot from the fairway. No the cut. way. I was just like, you know, you're just thinking, I just can't. Yeah, you can't not. Moment. Yeah, you can't not, not make the cut. You made yeah. some, se- I'm just looking now, you made some serious cuts that year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's ridiculous. That's why, that's why he's buying all his NFTs now. <laughs> <laughs> that, was his, yeah. that was his retirement fund. Still living off that. Because <laughs> <laughs> that went there, so what? What's his tip then? Well, he's counting your wins up. And yeah, you- so. I was like about 14 cuts in a row. Yeah, I, it was just, just yeah, just go on a run. Yeah, I've, I've been on the other side of it, so like I'm, I'll happily relive those. <laughs> that, yeah, that part. Yeah, you can, it's like a, it's, you can hear about all the wins, yeah. can't you? From yeah. someone goes to the casino, but you never hear about the lose yeah, losses. Exactly. Well, what's this tip? Yeah, this tip. Yeah, so know. um, so he came to an opening at a driving range, and he couldn't, he couldn't really see very much. So he said to me, like, going to say, he must have been getting, yeah, he was, he old was quite really, then. so I had a, yeah, I had a, a, a stall out for him, and he just said, look, you just tell me what the ball's doing. I watch you swing. You tell me what the ball's doing. So I was, um, I was, I was overdrawing it. Yeah. And so I hit a few of those, and he said to me, "Right, um, start with the club, back into the inside. So about a foot behind the ball and to the inside." I went, yeah. He said, "Now, now swing inside, and then, and then, then basically swing over it, key left hip, and hit a fade." So just like it put me in a big draw position. So take it on the back on the inside, mm-hmm. come over the top. Yeah, and basically hit a fade. So it was like just a massive exaggeration. Start inside. And then swing inside, and then you have to then like really turn your left hip out of the way, yeah. so you can then hit a fade. So I hit about two or three of those. And he said, "What? What did that one do? What did that one do? Yep, that faded." Right now, I hit a normal one, and obviously, it just the exaggeration broke the feel of like me going outside and looping you know, it back under. Yeah, and I, 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 I pretty much played off that feel for like a year and a half, what? and um, yeah, just had it on a piece of string. Which but was weirdly, nice. weirdly, didn't implement it straight away. You implemented yeah. it like a year and a, a bit after, which happens, right? Like, it, I, of course I, do, it does. I do stuff now. Like, I, I had, I've had online lessons from like five years ago, and I'll rewatch the video and I'll go, I completely didn't hear that the first time that yeah. person told me that. You know, just it's it, and you know, as much as even coaching now, completely not exempt from the fact of like you go into a lesson with what you think you want or want to get out of it. You don't necessarily take in what the expert you paid really good money to tell you. Yeah, yeah, but that's fine. But can we just do what I want to do? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can be a bit blinkered. I think it's because change is hard as well. Sometimes I've got problems with my golf swing. I know I need to change, and I kind of know r- roughly what to do. But it's difficult, and I almost I want to fix it, but I don't want to put the effort. Yeah. in. <laughs> the effort's the hardest yeah. bit. Isn't it is. it? Yeah. So, so obviously you were then European Tour, European mm. Tour player. Yeah. Were you sponsored this time? Yeah. Did you have a club deal? Yeah. Clothing deal. So I'd been with Callaway um, since I was a kid, really, since I was about probably 17 or 18. Um, so that just kind of kicked in. I'd, I was already using the clubs and they had like a system where, you know, if you're this rank of player, you, you, you go straight into that contract. And then, yeah, and then, you know, IMG kind of got me a couple of um, other, you know, corporate sponsors and so forth. But yeah. yeah, but you know what, though? It was, it was so different then. I had, I could never have told you at any point how much I would have had in my bank account, for instance. I, I wasn't. I just thought it was so much, it was honestly just about playing golf. Yeah. Like I wasn't interested in like, you are interested, but I wasn't like, that wasn't the driving force. I was still like, you know, I was still living at home with my mum sort of thing. Like, wasn't that fussed about like moving out because I was thinking I'm on tour now. That's, yeah. that's fine. That's all I wanted to this do. This is the really. life I live now. Yeah, exactly. And and it's weird from from having, um, from doing well then to then really struggling at, at different times. Like, 
I was just still my life's the same. I still like I still play golf every day. Like uh, in the back of my mind, that that's always been the bit of a safety net. Really, like whatever happens, I'll still be able to play golf, sort of thing. So when you're going through that time and stuff as well, and obviously you're saying you're not too bothered about the money in the bank, you just wanted to play golf and you wanted to win tournaments and stuff. Like when you're out on tour as well, is it hard to like think about settling down at any point or having you know getting married or having kids or is that is that just a thought that's never in your mind when you're out on tour is it you i guess you have to be quite self-centered yeah it's, it hadn't really crossed my mind at all really like yeah that's that's it everything revolves around you playing golf yeah. like you almost you know you, it, it's actually probably not very good for your social skills because you just think that like, if i play good golf the rest of the world works in the time of getting when I got injured and wasn't able to play for long periods of time which probably as a person probably good for me because all of a sudden you have to like get out of your box of everyone just doing things for you and um, you can just get by because you're good at golf and people want to come and talk to you you have to like actually engage some sort of social skills yeah, yeah. sort of thing so that was probably so being injured for a long period of time probably helped that side of things so, because I would never have got that because I kind of went from you know um, having some profile from playing in the open at 16 so then all of a sudden I was just a golfer yeah and and, and everything just happened off the back of that so I didn't have to like didn't have to try really no. other stuff because I wasn't bothered about it because all, all, all I was bothered about was playing golf like what what was my golf game doing so yeah that it probably in a weird way probably helped that side of things but I, you know I would happily have of um not get injured and you know be like flying around in private jets now and it would be a millionaire that sort of stuff but <laughs> but yeah but you know good comes from those situations what was the highest world ranking you got to um i'm not sure how high i got probably around 200 or so okay I think so. something like that w- yeah. was when you're playing because you hear a lot of players two, say two three nine i think okay yeah when you see a lot of players saying now that like it, sometimes they don't really care about world ranking was it something that was on your mind or i know it gets you into certain events but it was anything that you was like i, I desperately want to break into the top 200 150 yeah i you know what i, I didn't know until years after that's what, what my world ranking was is that right yeah i guess i was probably only ever interested in really like being in the top 50 yeah so for, until i was at that point yeah, i wasn't that bothered and i wasn't I'm not really like a number watcher. Like I wouldn't think oh, this is where I am. This is where I'm going to go. I'd never really planned anything out. In hindsight, I would probably make be a bit more now being the coach, be a bit more goal driven and this by this. Uh, how are we going to get there? Yes. And that sort of stuff. Is that the advice time. you give to your students now? Yeah, I would, there's so many different tours now. So now I so said, look, and everyone gets wrapped up in now. Oh, if you win this, you get into this tournament, and you get. Into, so don't worry about that. Just keep playing good golf. Yes. Your world ranking will take you to where you want to go. Yeah. Like that's you can get so wrapped up in all the other stuff. Well, do you, do you find it hard then when you're like? Well, I suppose it's got benefits as well. But when you're coaching people now and you've been there and done it and you've experienced the highs and, like you said, the lows, when you're coaching people, can you see in their ability that you think that they're not going to do it? Or they are, how, how do you kind of approach that? Or do you just coach people and then they take care of the golf themselves? Or do you give them advice? Or how, how does it really work? Yeah, you do look at some players. and you, There's some players you look at and think, yeah, they've got something. Yeah. And I'll be like, if there's something outside of golf really detracts them, I'll be amazed if it, this person didn't get to a really high level and then there's others come in you think haven't they've not got it to get to the high level but mm. you know what they're gonna they're gonna do it regardless and if i have a and it's the same amount of effort and focus if someone's gonna make say 20 million and you can help them make 25 over their career that's yeah it's kind of my job and it's the same if you think this person might have a career earning of 20 grand if i can turn that into 30 grand for them mm. then that's a success in it in itself because cha- part of as much as we want to get to the top of the game part of just chasing the dream is something that you don't get to do forever 
So if you can do it for a short time and, you know, it doesn't take you into a really bad spot financially, then, you know, then you, you've got to give it a go. You know, it's, that's bringing something. And you know what? I think playing good golf and whatever level, whether you're, whether you're playing with your pals, you just want to get better at golf or you're at the top of the game, like, it's exactly the same feeling. Yeah. Well, exactly the same feeling. When we spoke to Faldo, he said it, it takes, obviously, technical strength, physical strength and mental strength. Mm-hmm. And he says that, to get to the highest like you've got to have all three like there's no question you can't you can't be weak in any area yeah i reckon there are a lot of golfers and he, he mentioned it that have the technical strength the physical strength but the mental strength is really hard to be a winner yeah you know to really push yourself to that next and level it's, it's even the mental strength off the course because you're thinking about like walking down like again trying to make a cut walking down the 18th fairway and you're gonna hold a putt but like you said being at like a random airport, like Kazakhstan yeah. airport, and you've missed a cut, and you've got to then go and fly to a hotel, and, and like, your that must just die. Yeah, like, that, I mean? that was an event you did not want to miss the cut. <laughs> you couldn't get out of there on a Friday night. You had to wait till the Sunday. That was oh, that was. Was that, that really? Yeah. Was that a- Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I've heard that yeah, that's that's a really that good before. one, that, yeah. But, like, <laughs> it just must be... Again, I know we, we say this a lot, and we almost obsess over it, but the life that these guys, middle of the park, live, it's not what people think. Oh. And But I suppose the beauty of it is, the next week, it's almost like the lottery. Next week could be the week. Yeah, and these guys have to have some level of belief, and 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 your your life could change in you know thirty six holes, seventy two holes. Yeah. So when did you start to transition out of playing full time and and doing kind of what you do now? Because obviously, you you have a, you wear quite a few hats now, don't you? Yeah. Obviously, coaching. Yeah. TV presenting. Yeah. Still a little bit of playing. You mentioned yeah. earlier. 
NFT entrepreneur, <laughs> which you've just taught us a little bit about, and I'm getting very excited about NFTs. Um, wh- when did this start to transition? What What was the journey between you know you playing every week without question on the European tour as it was known then, mm. to then it was it more of a conscious effort yourself? Was it injuries, or what were you kind of forced into it because you didn't make as much money or whatever it was? Yeah, um, probably a little bit of all of the above, really. Um, so initially, I had a started to have a back injury so I was kind of going back into what I had with my neck where I wasn't able, I wasn't able to do what you need to do to be able to compete full time at the top level so that was kind of that was kind of creeping in and was this linked to the car crash at all no nothing to do with it just right. just wear and tear you know to come from a, uh, my generation we just didn't look after our bodies as well we didn't know that that's what we had to do you know yeah. long haul flights getting off not just I, I, you know I take responsibility for that and didn't look after my body well enough um, for that amount of time and then um I had in when I, when I had my card, I kind of went down this journey of like had a bad stretch, and I wanted to work out why, like because it was a technical issue, um, and so I, I kind of switched coaches a couple of times, and then I I kind of ended up kind of stumbling across like a, a Morad Mac O'Grady golf coach, which you know anyone who's into the golf swing would know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I went and I went to a couple of his golf schools, um, which was like mind blowing, really, at the time. Uh, in hindsight, as a player, I should never have gone because it's just way too much information and it probably took me about it took me about six years to kind of get like a little bit of like I kind of understand what he's talking about now it took a long time to kind of settle in my brain and so I would be at I was at a Minotaur event just filming my swing like I would always do by this point point. I never filmed I wasn't interested in golf swing when I played well probably tells me something that and um, yeah there was a young lad there I was kind of, my pal and I, Josh, like, we would like, you know, I'd help look at his swing and so forth now and then. Um, but then it's other lad, uh, Todd, had come on, Todd Clements, and he went, yeah, we look at my swing. It was an amateur, maybe like 1,500 in the world. And I was like, yeah, I'll have a look. Like, because you felt like you had some technical knowledge at this point. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Because I kind of had like a bit of a baseline that I was looking at it from. And I think he just saw me doing it. And I was like, well... I'll give you my opinion. And then I gave him I gave him my opinion. Then he, he just happened to take that and he was already a really good player. Just pointed him in, in the right direction. And he played really well for like six weeks in a row. Um and he just went bounding up the amateur world rankings and he went from like fourteen hundred up to like inside the top five hundred to like two fifty or something like that. And then we came home that winter and we played around the golf with my pal Josh and uh, and Todd. And unbeknownst to them, in the first nine holes, they both approached me and said that like quite enjoyed like, doing that stuff. Would you do it full time? They both was, approach you kind yeah, of individually, yeah, exactly, <laughs> just nice. in a three ball. And um, and in my head, I was thinking I'll probably start a golf academy when I'm like fifty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now I'm like early thirties or, or uh, yeah, mid early thirties. And these and there, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, maybe I'll, you know, I'll just help these guys out. And next thing I know, because they did well, you know, you know, Todd's got a mate. He went, oh, can you have a look at my swing? Can you have a look at my swing? And it just like. The snowboard and next oh thing it was God. like I've got like a full on like full on like squad here of like good players and, and, and youngsters really. So how did it make you feel when Todd started to do well? Um yeah, it's completely different, like it's a completely different feeling to yourself doing well. I mean, yeah, he he started to smash it really and he, he he's he was such a good talent anyway. He just needed like really like just go in that direction. And it is and he won the he, he won the English amateur um at, at the Berkshire. And that was like a real big moment because he had like, he had, we were sat um, on the terrace afterwards and, he's, and the English Amateur Trophy is massive. And I was it's like, huge oh, trophy. Yeah, it's a huge trophy. And I was like, well, I add this to the collection. He went, I've never won anything before. 
You joke. He, he won like club, a little club event, but he's never won anything like this before. And I was like, but I just, I think because my amateur career was like, from a kid, like, that's just what you do. You won everything. Yeah, it, it <laughs> feels that way. <laughs> you, get, you get better as you get older, you get further away from when it actually happened. Um, yeah, and then he just he just repressed on from that point, really. And, and did you have, like, mixed emotions about him doing well, though? Because as a player, because were you competing him at this time or not? Were you on completely different um, paths? I play, uh, we, we, we would play alongside each other in, on the MENA tour. Like, how did you bit. feel like you've helped him do really well? Like yeah. you've helped him beat you effectively. Well, see, it was all right then because he was an amateur, so he wasn't taking money out. Of <laughs> <laughs> it was only when he turned yeah. pro. Um, no, but it was good. It was it actually it was actually really nice for me because I because uh, it kind of compa- it got took me away from all those all those dark like you've had a good or a bad day. Yeah. But then you like finish. You're like, okay, but how have they done? How did and then, they do? And if, yeah. and if they did, and if he did well, or if the other player did well, it was kind of like, okay, well, that's another. You know, just compartmentalise it a little bit, a bit easier to deal with, I suppose. Yeah, the wor- worst time is if you all come, like, bottom three. And yeah. then there's, there's nothing there, <laughs> is there? you struggling, yeah. Also, so, like, almost accidentally, almost, would you would you almost mm. compare it similar to, like, Robert Rock? Because he's, yeah. he's kind of got, obviously, set up school. He started to coach some of his yeah. other colleagues as such. Yeah. Um, and you kind of went down that route, and now and now you have a stable of how many students, would you say? Good yeah. top-quality students? Like, like now... Um, you, you kind of have a different one. You have people come every week and then in and out, really. Like now, I'll probably have, of like elite players, they're probably, um, across Josh and I, we probably look after about maybe 15 to 20, I suppose. And these are a mixture of, of really good amateurs. Really good amateurs. Um, pros. Yeah, yeah, male, female. Where's like your highest rank pro at the moment? Um, so, still do uh, still do all uh, performance stuff with Todd. Um, probably the last year or so, probably unless, because into the COVID time, so now it's kind of out of like, now I've kind of moved into a situation where I don't travel quite as much. Of course. But now I've like, um, actually found that actually dealing with the, the, the players on the way up, like that really suits me. And now I'm, I'm completely comfortable with like, when someone gets to the tour, they want someone out on tour. Right. Yeah. That's just kind of the way it yeah, goes. Like so a like, Mike Walker. Yeah, or exactly. Like Liam that. James yeah. and so forth. So like, for instance, a lad called Toby Tree, we helped Toby Tree get to the tour. Yeah. And then it was going really well, but you could just tell he's just like, I just want someone who's just going to watch me hit balls for four hours. Did he win the silver medal or did he do well in the open? Toby did well in the open, yeah. yeah. Um, so, like, I'm, and I was thinking, I just it's don't want to do not that. not your thing, is uh, it? I haven't got that. So, I'm like, now getting to a point, I'm more than comfortable to like do the bit, all the bit up to it, that's, that sort of part of it. But going out on tour full time, you know, I can't see that for quite a while now. To be Maybe honest. till obviously your son grows up and then you. I'm guessing it's nice now. Him. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm guessing it's nice now because obviously you probably see him quite a lot, and if you were travelling a lot, you mm. wouldn't do. I guess. Like yeah, that's the, the hard exactly. time when, yeah. when you start to have a family. Travel, travel becomes a lot harder. It does, and also now I just love the fact that like because I get to like talk about golf with the commentary, still get to play golf, get to coach it, get around be there with different people. I really love each piece of what I do, and yeah. it's like because I think if I was like churning all day long, which I highly respect people that they do. I wouldn't enjoy churning it lessons quite out. as much. Yeah, just churning You've got a variety, lessons. I guess, haven't you? It's, I, like, I really like every part of it. And it's just, I, I just, sometimes I wake up just thinking, like, this is amazing, really. It, oh, and, it's, and people say to me, would you go out and back out on tour full time? And I'm like, yeah, if I was at Sawgrass being in part of the private jet crew, that's one way of doing it. But yeah, I, yeah. anything other than that, I'd, I'd much prefer doing what I do now. Was, was there a point then, obviously, you started off saying you, you love golf and you can tell by your passion you do, and, and rightly so with the career you've got, but. Was there ever a point where you fell out of love with golf when times weren't as good, or was that love for it always there? Mm. No, I don't think I've ever fallen out. I think when I wasn't playing, 
I, I think I probably went through a couple of months where I thought, you know what, I'm actually just going to distance myself from golf because it was quite tough that I wasn't able to play because yeah. I was injured. But around that, I've like, yeah, I've just always obsessed by it, really. Just loved it. I think it's unique how you play so much as well because a lot of coaches typically don't mm. play as much because either they want to get away from the golf course on the days off or whatever. But the fact that you still play so much as well, does that help you with your coaching, do you feel like, because you still got your hand in? Yeah, I think it does because, I, like, I, I think it's really important for coaches to play golf just because, and I think I understand that some coaches will feel there's a there's like a expectation or a pressure on playing and what what you would shoot. Because I had it at the beginning now when I would not played so much and I would do more and more coaching. I would go to a, an event thinking, if I play badly, are they not? Are going to disrespect? <laughs> your gonna les- lessons will all cancel. Lose your respect and so forth because I'm literally playing in the same tournament as some of the lads I'm I'm coaching. But you know what you realise after a while. No one cares. They're so into themselves, their own yeah. game. They don't really care. And also, you just get more comfortable that, that you know, they understand that your role as a coach is different from being a player. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's really important to just to keep playing, just to almost understand to how difficult it is. Yeah. To be able to empathise, to be able to, like, still go through the... Like me, like on the way up here, thinking about a little move I'm working on, like, just to, like, live that. Cause it's quite easy to say to somebody, look at all the, the figures and numbers. You should just do this and this. And uh, it will, and your your game will improve. Yeah. Like going, yeah. But when I'm a bit nervous and the wind's out the left, like I can't redo really that. What can I do? Yeah. So yeah. Question. I've got a question for both of you actually, quickly. So the the PJ now, uh, since the World Handicap System, you can turn pro off. Well, do PJ off six, which is obviously still a good level of golf. But what do you both think about? I know, like I said, people don't care too much. But how good at golf does a golf coach have to be, or does it have literally no relevance? You come in first, Rick. I think there needs to be a level of standard. Yeah. So when I did the PGA, there was there was it, you had to be a four or less. I didn't. I actually didn't know it had gone up to six. To be honest with you, and we used to have to do a playing ability test. Yeah. And the playing ability test was on paper fairly straightforward. If you, you've you know what the playing ability yeah. test, it's two rounds of golf, and you got to shoot under fifteen over. Which sounds yeah, which does sound a lot, but it's kind of like a weird like yeah. normally when you play golf, certainly me growing up and I was as I was kind of in my amateur game, you try and score the best score you can possibly score, right? Where this time now you're put in a position where as long as you've <laughs> beat fifteen yeah. over, you're good. Yeah. And it was dead weird. Like I've never hit so many hybrids off a <laughs> tee. Like yeah. I remember playing, I just yeah. hit hybrids everywhere because it and I think that I'm not saying it was phenomenal golf and I and I Obviously, I qualified and got in, but I felt like it was everyone were there. You could tell it kind of somewhat weeded out some of the guys who really couldn't actually play golf. Really, to be honest with you, but I don't also think that's the only route of coaching. Now, mm-hmm. I think to be a PJ pro and to coach, that's one route. But I think there are other ways now to become a reputable coach. Like you say, obviously being an ex-tour player, you're now a coach. I think if you've got really good knowledge and understanding, you can still be a mm-hmm. great coach. Like. Would I go and have a lesson with Butch Hardman? Absolutely, of course I would. Obviously, he's done it and he's been yeah. there, done that. But he might go out and not be able to break 90 now. But that's okay. Let's yeah. have a lesson with him. Or there'll be other examples of that, personally. I think as long as you've got a really good understanding and you can play to a decent enough level, it's more your knowledge, I find. Mm-hmm. Going back to your point a minute ago, and I'll get Zane's answer on that in a second. I remember when I was coaching full-time at, at Trafford and proper churn-out lessons, I 100% went through a spell, maybe about two or three years, where I hardly played golf. Mm-hmm. I hardly yeah. played golf. And I was coaching, 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 indoor range. And it was only when I started to play more golf, I thought, 
oh crap like there's a lot of things i've overlooked here mm -hmm. because I, because at the time i was just a driving range golf coach and that's all i could that's all i knew yeah where once i started playing golf I was like oh no let's not worry about hitting a driver on launch monitor yeah. with this much spin this much launch let's focus on that in between club let's focus when you have got wind off the left let's focus on that really nervous tee shot that you want to try and nail it's it's only when you start playing golf do you actually remember all those things and as a coach i think that really helps you but i don't think you have to play at an amazing standard i just think you need to play at a standard to go okay i understand golf mm -hmm. like I understand all the elements because I've played last week and I know how hard it is to hit certain shots or whatever it may yeah. be. But it doesn't mean that coach hasn't got the knowledge to help students. Yeah, yeah. Cause they have really. What would you, what would your take on that saying? Yeah. The, very, very similar. Yeah, exactly that in, in the, you know, just to be, understand the small nuances that, that put rounds together. Like, um, you know, every golfer that comes through the door wants to shoot a better score. Um, maybe some, you get, get the odd person who's like a real, just, golf and swing pervert they just love it and they just want to get right into all the little details and make their swing look a certain way you get the old ones though which is which which i also enjoy but just the the happiness you can get out of shooting a better score and sometimes that just comes from something you can add which actually you wouldn't you won't ever see on a video or on a, a launch monitor number which essentially those things are, i guess are a bit more long term for what you want to be and then to the point of like the coaches like you know like um yes like my, i would say my my kind of USP or thing I'm really good at helping people with it with is I've a decent understanding of the golf swing, what, how I see the baseline of a golf swing, and then how being able to interpret that to something you can actually use. So that's uh, I'm quite good at that part of it and the playing part of it. But I also understand that there's like super smart people who with with the uh, ground reaction forces mm. um, and someone who's great with all the numbers and the graphs and that, that has a that 100 has a place. And I think golf coaching's get, getting better now from was 15 years ago because it used to be you have your golf coach. And they do everything like you can't you know you can't go and see anybody else yeah very territorial yes yeah, very much so whereas now it's a bit like you know what um this bit i think i think i can see something but you know what let's go and see like steve, uh, steve furlonger for instance well, literally, I, literally i was just yeah. about to say we went down right. there right uh, we met up with uh, martin borgmeyer and yeah. joe miller were down there yeah, and obviously yeah. Lee, yeah. lee cox their coach I'd recommend them to go to Steve mm. Furlonger because he had all the ground force reaction yep. plates and everything else. And like I said, that is the new way of coaching, a more holistic approach exactly, where yeah. you're not as like territorial to your student. You yeah. can be a little bit more. But yeah, putting coaches as well. Coach do. Short game yeah. coaches. I, I think, I actually think, uh, interesting to mention Lee there. I've had a few lessons of Lee. Lee's like one of my favourite uh, people in golf. He's just so, remember I went to him to, to help me with my driving. I thought I want to hit it further. This was probably about four or five years ago. And I remember my wife doesn't even play golf. And I said, I'm just going to see, I was on my phone or whatever, going, this is the guy I'm going to go and see for a long drive, you know, as if she's going to be anywhere interested in it. And she went, well, look at him. He's obviously going to work, isn't he? Like, what do you mean? He, goes, he looks like a long drive coach, doesn't he? Like, <laughs> yeah. bald hair, he looks like a geezer, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah, and he's, yeah, like, like Lee's, Lee's, he's a brilliant coach. Oh, I had a lesson with him, right? And uh, he's chatting away to me. And he kept on doing this little thing where he would like, look, be looking at me in the eye. And then he like, I would hit my shot. And then he'd roll, roll the ball out of the, the ball tray. And up onto the rubber tee with his foot without even looking. He did it about five times. I'm like, Lee, who are you doing? He goes, I don't even know how to do that. He just like, so when someone hits the ball, he just rolls it with their foot while chatting to him up oh. onto the tee. <laughs> That's, like, That's so impressive. That is. I, I would say that the one thing I've noticed in coach or instruction, so I say, for, for the last probably 10 years, and I think there was a big divide not long ago, and I think it's getting better. I used to always see that there was golf instructors that were like the white, 
coat brigade. And what I mean by that, almost like golf scientists. Mm-hmm. And they were really, really, really in depth and they really analyzed every single bit of it, but actually weren't the best at translating the message to the student. Mm-hmm. I would then say on the other side, the, there was a coach and that coach had a mixture of level abilities. So some would have really, really high intensity of, of knowledge of the golf swing, but others would just be able to get their point across in the best possible manner. To be able to coach yeah. somebody. I feel like over the time they've got a little bit better. I feel like the golf scientists have become more coaches and I feel mm. like the coaches have become a little bit more golf scientists. Yeah. And I think it's helped a lot better the whole industry personally. What From what I've experienced in the last 10 years or so. Yeah, I mean, I th- I, from what I've seen in the last few years, there's a... a a lot of ego has come out of golf coaching. There's still ego, like there's ego everywhere, but it's come out of golf, golf coaching a little bit, and it's not as territorial, yeah. as you say. And and every most coaches that I would just, you know, you just reach to uh, on social media or so forth. But everyone's quite forthcoming, and kind of works together to a certain point. I'm sure there's still some out there still arguing or whatever. Of course there is. But when I first when I first started coaching, I thought, um, you know, I kind of played and I, you know, I'd been to like you know a lot of top coaches, like Pete Cowan and, and Rocky helped me out. You, know, you mentioned him earlier. And um, uh, David Ledbetter, I've been to the David Ledbetter School uh, uh, down in Sarasota, down in Bradenton. And then, um, you know, I was coach Scott Cranfield. I'd, I'd kind of been to a bunch of them, like spent loads of time with Claude Harmon. And then I thought, oh, but I need some sort of qualification. You know, I'm not a PJ professional. So I would go along and I went along to Foresight, did like this, uh, this like day. It was called like peak performance. It was like their certification. Yeah, yeah, not with Liam, is numbers. it? Yeah, Mucklow. Yeah, yeah, that's right, with Liam Mucklow. So we sat in the morning, it's in a, like a bit of a classroom scenario. He's the educator and he's going through, I'm thinking he's got so smart. And it's a room full of pros, like old, you know, then older guys than me. I'm probably becoming that older guy now. And, um, and the questions that were asking, I was thinking, I haven't got a clue what they're talking about here. And there, and there's a guy there, he's an older guy, lives in Spain, and he's like going, oh, well, all the data and the graphs that I've got on my players, I've seen this and this happen, that spike happens. I'm just thinking, this is, what am I doing? Uh, I'm not sure if I'm, I've got time to learn all this sort of stuff to become a golf coach. And that was in the morning. I felt way out of my depth. And then in the afternoon, we got split off into groups of four. So there's like 10, I'd say 10, 12 groups of four. And you, one person had to hit shots. And the other three basically had to give him a lesson. Some, some using a bit of tech or whatever. So mm-hmm. I kind of like sat back a little bit, and these guys were straight in there. So it's, it's lads hitting these shots, and he's, he's spooning them right. All, all like pros are good players. He's in it way right, way right. And then they're, they're telling them all this stuff. And I'm just kind of hanging back, and this guy's got the the iPad, and he's like, "You got to feel like you got to get the left, got to get your left knee working quicker early on the downswing, so you get the pressure outside of your foot earlier." That's going to do this to the path. And I was thinking, and this guy was getting worse. And time's pressing on, time's pressing on. And it's, they're like almost like, we're going to wrap up soon. And I was just thinking, I, was, I hadn't said anything. And I said, guys, do you mind if I kind of have a go? And they're like, and they're lost now because they like, just made the guy worse. And, I was, and they're like, yeah, yeah, fine. So I said, should we, ask, should we ask him what shot he's trying to hit? Oh, yeah, that's a great idea, isn't it? What shot are you trying to hit? I just want to hit a fade. Right, right, you want to hit a fade. Right, do you want to hit a push fade? Do you want to aim left and fade it? Or do you want to aim straight? Swing over it and fade it. I want to aim straight. Okay, fine. So I'm like, well, just move the ball position. Like, let's go two inches up in your stance and just feel like you turn your chest. Okay, he does it and he just rips it. Lovely little knuckle fade. He looks, he looks around at me like he's, you know, <laughs> just like found water. Like he's like, I was like, no, okay, do it again. And he's just ripping these balls out there. And at that point, that that was a bit it almost validated nice my my yeah. area. And it was like, okay, I understand that's the thing, but that's. I've got the other side to it. So, yeah. I'll, you know, I'll dip into, uh, you know, I'll the try tech. and that part of it. But 
there's and then you, you start to find your own identity don't you within within coaching and, and just be accepting of like that person is good at that they're a specialist let's just go and use that let's let that person be good at that and this person I can be good at this piece and let that person be good at that piece because I was a product of going through have one coach and you know and it was a bit like well I would look across the thing I need to get, get better at that part and there's someone there but my coach might lose his head if I go and talk to that person yeah. so I can't do it and then you held back and that's what I've tried to like do with any players that come through like just have no ego towards it like just let the player get better. The good things will come. Yeah, I think I might have been on that same day with you. If oh, not, really? a very similar one because I remember that whole thing that you just that said not bothered. I was, yeah. I might have been the player spooning off to the right. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, no, it's that. It's um, I feel like what kind of where you've gone from and where you've got to. You seem very comfortable. And then obviously the TV work, like yeah. that's kind of something fairly new, is it? How long have you been doing that yeah, for? Yeah, actually, oddly enough, I looked on the LinkedIn the other day and I, I did my first one in twenty nineteen. So it's been a couple of years now, but it starts off like really intermittent. You know, you get, I, I'm friends with um, uh, Dennis Pugh is from the club that I'm at. Yeah. And Dennis said, I can retire and you, you could come along and watch me do a couple of shows. And my manager, he kind, of, he kind of mentioned it to me, like, would you be interested? So I was like, yeah. So I spoke to Dennis. Dennis said, come and watch me. So I watched him uh, do the couple of shows. And then they said, well, you'd like to come and do one next week. So go into the studio at Sky, you know, get the earpiece in and that sort of stuff. And um yeah, and did the first one, and it's just like even, even, even now a little bit to be honest with you, it's like the most nerve wracking experience. It's so, it's so nerve wracking. Well, we had we had Incy on, yeah. not not long ago, and she said when she first did the studio, she really didn't enjoy it. She really yeah. messed up quite a few yeah. times, but she said obviously she's got a lot better at it now. But uh, I've been asked to do it, and I'm like, oh, for live TV <laughs> to speak for that long, I love speaking, <laughs> but me for live TV, it must be quite daunting, and, and to know all the players, mm. and I'd get all the pronunciation of the names wrong with me. <laughs> yeah, you, see, you, steer, you steer away from a couple of them. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you do. You end up like, if he's got a complicated last name, oh, so here's Andy. <laughs> he's like got some mad last name. Yeah. So do you see you doing more of that, more TV work? Yeah, so more, more TV work. Um, did some... Um, so studio with Sky, and then um, do uh, some of the majors for the BBC Radio, which is like uh, did did the radio uh, at the Open last year, which was just I like, loved it. It's one of the yeah, best yeah. experiences I've, I've done, really. Firstly, because of the Open Championship, and then you rock up in the morning, and they said, "Oh, would would you go and watch? Uh, can you go and follow DJ and Rosie?" And you're like, "Yeah." Inside right. the ropes. Inside the ropes. Up, and, you, and you're basically just chatting about what they're doing. Yeah, you're just chatting about what you're doing. You can't, and you almost can't mess up radio because no one else can see it. So yeah. <laughs> you kind of got that going for you. Um, whereas obviously the live TV is obviously is a bit more pressure because you know, everyone's, you're trying to add something to the coverage that we're all watching the same thing. So you're trying to add something else in, which maybe is not, you know, to the viewer don't necessarily first see. So, that, you know, what, you get your flow to it and that sort of stuff. But it's great fun. I mean, I'm... Now, I've always watched the PJ Tour. I've always watched like the golf on television. So now it's not quite a nice excuse because you know I'm you know way past going to nightclubs and so forth. So now my weekend sorted. Get to get to go in and get to watch the golf. And someone brings you a cappuccino and you can get the old dairy milk and it's fish and chips on a Friday night. And it's just actually I do leave there sometimes thinking is that a real job? You know, it's, <laughs> it's you know what I, I love about hearing about this though is I was playing golf the other day with a, a young lad and his dad who I just joined with randomly. The lad was seventeen. He's off one. He's a really good player and he's possibly going to have a year out and just play and see how good he gets and then you know maybe go on to play or whatever job in golf but 
there are a lot of cool jobs in golf, aren't yeah. there? And like, you know, most people who work in golf, I'm sure, grew up wanting to be players. Yeah. Some obviously do that and, and some here don't. But then there's so many jobs that like you don't even think of. And it's exciting for people, youngsters coming through that you might not make it, but yeah, there's so many opportunities out there. So the golf industry is, is so wide in that way. Mm. I mean, uh, for me being a player and, and being fortunate enough to play on tour, you just, you just think that the whole like world revolves around you. And now coming in from like a looking at the TV side of things, you're like the players are just a very they're like a they seem like a big piece because they're in the front front of it all, but they're quite a small piece in the whole like yeah, kind of yeah, juggernaut the of the of the industry. And, and it is and and it's good. And, and you know, and also you seeing people people in golf for completely different reasons. Like you know, some people love it to for the social side of it. Some people like it for the competitive side of it. Some people like it because they like having all the new equipment, the health benefits, you know, the, the health benefits. All some people like to have the latest stuff to wear and that's how they yeah. want to do their stuff and that's what's um you know when you start to coming out of the playing side of it and now i'm seeing that's like that the other side of it it's fascinating Because when you're a player you must think there's only one thing to do is, is to it. play golf yeah and you can't understand that anyone else would want to play golf if they yeah. weren't trying to win tournaments but like yeah. we go to driving range a lot and you see such a mixture of, yeah. of golfers or, or non-golfers 100%. like just a mixture of people trying golf to some capacity mm. i feel like it's not the last time we're going to see you competing again. I feel like there's there's an edge in you that kind of gives me a glimpse yeah. that you might do it again. I still like, I, I still enjoy, it's still in me to compete and I still work on my game a lot. And yeah, like I wouldn't be, like someone said, would you play again? I, I, I would never, I don't think I would set out my store to be like, right, I'm giving up yeah, everything to go play. But, you know, if I go to open qualifying and I sneak through a round or two, yeah. Are you going to do open yeah. qualifying again this yeah. year? Yeah, I'm going to do it this year. I didn't do it last year because I just wanted, actually just wanted to do the radio thing. And even I'm booked in to do the radio thing uh, this this year. So you can do both. No, listen, I'm going to... play with a headset on. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine <laughs> that? Yeah. <laughs> can you just follow your group today? Oh, yeah, not from I'll just put the headphone yeah. on and, and yeah. do Especially the radio. Just don't, don't get paired with Tyrrell. <laughs> yeah, or, or if yourself, if you're not playing well, you might yeah. get a few bad bad words out there. Yeah. One uh, of the things I wanted to just touch on quickly is, obviously, you've just been announced as the RNA um, Diversity Ambassador. So I saw that online, and then I think that's partly why I got mm. in touch to come on, but... Tell us more about it. Sounds exciting. Yeah, so I've been working with the RNA for um, for about a year, year and a half or so, like just talking about some of the issues in golf and so forth. And they've been really open uh, to everything, which has been great that uh, they're really aware of their standing in golf, what they are what, and what they aren't as well. And so they kind of, we open up conversations with them and, you know, hopefully to help the educational side of it. And then, you know, the RNA, have to, when they make a decision, they have to go through a long, quite a long process of having the data and the research to back up why they make certain decisions and why they decide to go down a certain path. So it's taken a while, but it's kind of, you know, it's gotten there now. And then, uh, yeah, I guess from my background, you know, like loving golf, my dad being a black guy in golf, like early on 25 years ago, what that was like, my own experiences of, um, I, haven't, I haven't had like people come at me directly on racism, but I've had people... I've been in those situations because people who look at me wouldn't necessarily know that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm half black. So I've been in those situations a lot and kind of like, kind of lived it a little bit from that side of things. And um, yeah, just trying to, just trying to gel it all together because I think the approach for golf uh, for a long time has been like, oh, golf's open to all, um, which I, which actually is like, yeah, but that's, that's not enough that like, just because it's open to all, that doesn't, that's not, doesn't make it welcoming. It's a bit like, oh, we're all going to play over here. You can have a go if you want, but we're not really going to take any notice mm, of you. Yeah, of course. And golf has, the, and especially uh, over the last five years, golf has the capacity to uh, to accommodate pretty much everybody from every walk of life. 
and for all the different reasons. Like what we're saying there, for me it was like it was to compete. But now you know, now coming on the other side, I realise that people use golf for all different uh, reasons, and and it's not necessarily a matter of like trying to force your way onto the table. It's just like how about we just make the table bigger because golf can do it. And there's, there's so many uh, kind of layers to all this. Like for last year, um, uh, Slingsby um, did a golf academy. So they did like it was, they took four of the female yeah, um, like presenters. Yeah, and uh, Georgia Bingham, was yeah, it? And, uh, uh, Fleur East, Bella Shah, uh, Natalie Pinkham and uh, Helen Skelton. Oh, that was it, yeah. And they took, um, they had, had all had a coach each and then they were complete beginners and had yeah, nine months crazy. of playing golf and then the, uh, then had like a mini comp at the end of it, and the best one got into the into the program at the PGA at Wentworth, like hugely daunting. And um, I got asked to go along and do one of their things at Top Golf, you know, just give them a few pointers yeah, and yeah. so forth. And um, I was thrown right in the deep end with that, by the way. I thought I was going there just to like just help out a little bit. And they said, "Oh, right, you had all these TV crew there." And they're like, <laughs> "Right, so what are you going to tell them?" I was like, "What do you mean?" And I had to like keep your head down. Give me, yeah, literally give me a golf lesson in front of me, but I didn't think I was going to do. But it was great, right? So, so my wife came along and. Wife, you know, we've been together for however long. She's been on tour with me. She's no interest in picking up a golf club whatsoever. And we finished the afternoon and we sat around the table, like, or they sat around the table like this and they had the gin and tonics out and having a laugh. We're driving home. Is Louise to me like, I think I might give golf a go. Class. I was like, because she just saw people like her, you know, having a good time yeah, and yeah. the social side. Now she, go, she, go, she has a golf lesson every week. Every Monday she goes with her mates, she has a golf lesson and they have a bit of lunch afterwards. And that to her... Yeah, she wants to get out of the golf ball, but that to her is golf. And yeah. I, I'm completely fine with that. You, and you just thought it was the G&Ts talking at first, which is actually... A little bit, yeah. <laughs> you backed it up. <laughs> and she, yeah, I thought, That's great. I thought it would be two weeks, but she's done it now every Monday for like three months. Brilliant. And, she, and she's pressing on with it. And then you start to see, you go, actually, yeah, I see it from a competing background. But that's a social aspect. Yeah. And then, and then uh, being part of Black British Golfers, that was another part which was um, kind of started... I was chatting to this guy Ray. We've been chatting for a couple of years, and we're like, we probably do a bit more with this. You know, what what could what could happen? What 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 should be happening? And so Ray um, started this Instagram channel, Black British Golfers, and it was great because what I remember he 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 posted like a, a a black guy who was playing golf, and then the, and then the next day he was like, oh, I found another black golfer. And he'll post it. I found this woman, another black golfer. And he'll post it, and it just like kind of picked up steam. And what was what was really good that came out of that was, and even the chats with the RNA, it was like, yeah, it's great that we can have like a um, an ex Premier League footballer who now golfs, and and you know, they're going to help uh, golf going through. But actually, there's also massive power in like just another normal person mm. who's down at the driving range hitting balls and posting that because then cause people because then people can really relate to that because just because mm. people aspire to people people like them or people they aspire to be, and that's like. That's has so much power just seeing someone else out there. And then off the back of that, we found that there was all sort there was like the Zimbabwean Golf Society, Afro Caribbean Society, like We met the Muslim Golf Society. Yeah, Amir from the Muslim Golf Society. So all of a sudden you're like, oh, it is out there. Yeah, yeah. It is out there. Like golf is actually it is actually doing quite a good job. So it's like now, like, how do we show all those so that when someone comes in, they go like, Okay, I've been to I've been to the driving range or crazy golf or or been introduced to it by a family member. But always the next step, loads of people try golf and that's really easy. But next step is like, I want to keep going with this. Where do mm. I go? So it's like now, as we can like kind of show that all these people are out there playing golf, you can help people. Like, you know what? Um, if you want to try golf, those people are in your area and you probably align with them. Like, mm. And, they're, and they're, they're really good people. And then 
that person then stays in golf. Whereas, you know, um, like my dad being a being a back, black guy back then, he's quite like he's very direct about well, I'm doing this and we do whatever. But for the next person to walk into some golf clubs is quite it's quite daunting. Yeah, you know, I'm sitting here with my hat on backwards today. Probably three season, three years ago, I was hitting balls in the range. Um, it was a Saturday afternoon. You know, I got my shirt out, shorts on, barely one out there, and you know, and the and the uh, director of golf at the golf club comes up. I was saying, yeah, everything right? You know, you've got to turn your hat around. So I was like, well, have I? He's like, well, yeah, you should do really. I was like, well, I'm not looking for confrontation. I said, look, I tell you what. I'll meet in the middle. I'll take it off. I'm not bothered about it. I put it on sideways. I'll meet you in the yeah. middle. <laughs> but look, I'm not looking for confrontation, but is that actually a rule? Mm. Yeah. Well, I can I can bring it up in the meeting. I was like, well, yeah, you should, because I can I can I don't have to tuck my shirt in. I can wear jeans in the clubhouse. I can be on my phone. All these things just uh, just seems a bit odd that I have to wear my hat a certain way. Like I'm not sure if that's a rule, but you know, I'm not being confrontational. As it turned out, it wasn't a rule. But at that time, I did feel uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I felt uncomfortable being myself, and I thought, right, I'm a you know, 36, 37 year old professional golfer who's been in it forever. Like, and I think if I feel uncomfortable, what would like, what would someone who just started the game mm. feel like? Imagine that, that, that was their first time going exactly. to the course, and they got first, second, third time. Yeah. They, they wouldn't come back, would they? And that's, that to me is an absolute travesty. No, it's, uh, there's definitely a link missing between participation and actual golf like you see all these driving ranges they're packed well, that's yeah. I've yeah. never seen driving ranges busier in my life yeah. at the moment like yeah. we went to top golf down in Watford a few weeks ago it was amazing mm. absolutely amazing packed full of mm. honestly I would say non-golfers yeah. I'd say non yeah. what we would class as playing 18 holes having a handicap mm. But why can't they? Why can't they become that potentially, yeah. or, or at least have a have a way of being able to become a member of a golf club and play golf regularly? I think that this, uh, this is something I have li- very very limit, limited knowledge or experience on. But like our where we are now in kind of Manchester area is a very mixed, you know, lots of different ethnicities and stuff like that. You go to the golf clubs we go to; it's mostly white people. Mm-hmm. When you go to the driving range on a night, it's an absolute yeah. mix of Everybody. different yeah. backgrounds, races, etc. And you Young, wonder what old male, yeah. female, and you wonder like, is that is there something that people feel like they can't go to a golf club because it it's very different, it's chalk and it cheese, is. isn't it? And like say at the driving range, they can wear what they want. Yeah. They can wear the hat backwards. They can you know what they. they yeah, they can't take that same step back onto a golf course, yeah. really, can they at all? And there's definitely a link missing. I, I feel like I, I thought yeah. about this like quick six idea where you like build six holes, quite short, like big holes, mm-hmm. not bucket holes, but bigger than normal. And just make it fun. No yeah. dress code, music layering if you want it. Yeah. And it's that step way between driving range, that, and then golf potentially. It might even be in one more step needed between mm-hmm. that and golf. But there's definitely, we're in an unbelievable position right now. I don't think golf's ever been stronger. I don't. Yeah, like I We see it on our viewing figures and stuff like, we're getting more views than ever before. Golf's right. never been stronger. Yeah. Um, more people are picking up. You know, people we're bumping into saying I've picked it up in the last two years because mm-hmm. of lockdown and stuff. I used to play football every week and then since since lockdown mm-hmm. I now play golf because it's more an individual sport and everything else. I feel like we're in a, such a great position now that we just need to like push on. But the other thing is, I've also heard and see on Twitter, a lot of golfers don't want it to push on. A lot of actual golfers who are mem- they don't want the golf course. Well, they don't want. They don't want busier. Yeah, busier tea times. Yeah. Like, which is so. It's like a weird battle. Yeah. Like people who, th- who work in golf want it to be busier, 
Yeah. Because we want it we want that that energy and we want that excitement. We want people to enjoy the sport we love so much. But a normal golfer who plays on a Saturday afternoon doesn't want their tea time taken up at, yeah. at two o'clock every week because that's when they play, you know. So it's a really weird one, isn't it? It is. It's a it's a funny situation in that if you look at um dress code, for instance, like dress code is quite a big one for me. I think there are some clubs which, you know, they're a bit more like, traditional and, you know, you've got to wear the long socks with the shorts and so forth. And, like, you know what? Like, if that's the way they want to be, that's completely fine. And when you become a member, you either sign up or you don't sign up to that. But there are there are enough play, other places you can go to that will align with wearing a hoodie on the golf course or, or not having to wear, uh, you know, I mean, in the day when you uh, you had to wear golf shoes. Yeah, now proper spark shoes. Golf yeah. shoes. Well, yeah, golfers, exactly. Trainers are golf shoes, aren't they, yeah. really? It's just about how can we, like, just make sure that everyone finds their... I, I, personally, I think there are enough... There's enough space for everybody, but just direct because the the top of it looks like golf is still traditional, and it's that it's like I don't know, loads of places we don't yeah. have to be like that. Yeah. I think we're really close to this as well. Like I I've seen a lot of places now. Um, like where did where have I played recently? And I was like, I wonder if they'd let that dress code. And there were there. It's like I think hoodies now. Ninety percent of mm. places are good. Like yeah. you can wear a hoodie. Obviously, uh, some and like golf out. trainers you can wear everywhere. Yeah, can't you really? Well, that's it. And I saw a thing a while ago. Somebody said that, like, if you go to a smart restaurant on a night out, even if there's not a dress code, you will typically dress quite smart. Yep. If a golf course has, hasn't got a dress code, a lot of golf would still turn up in golf gear because that's how they want to present themselves, and that's up to them. Other people might be a bit more relaxed and wear a T-shirt, but yep. it shouldn't really matter, should it? But Crazy. Hopefully it will change. Well, Zane, you have been a wonderful guest. Anything else you want to talk about, cover? It's probably about a million things. What, what in golf do you want to cover? I, I can cover it. Where can people follow you? How to get better, Zane. I yeah. want to get better at golf, please. You've learned the trick. <laughs> put the ball back in your stand. Start <laughs> on the inside. Yeah, that's that's, that's exactly what I need yeah. to do. Uh, where can people find you on social media if they want to check you out and follow you? So um, Instagram is probably what I use the most. That's um, at Zane Scotland Golf. Yeah. Um, I think I'm at Zane Scotland on Twitter. Um, Facebook, yeah, Zane Scotland. Cool. Um, We'll put all the yeah, yeah, we'll link below. them down yeah. below as well. Yeah, they're, they're the main ones, really. I, I think I've got a TikTok, but I logged out of it, started another one, but now it's the wrong one, so I'm not yeah, I'm not quite up on the TikTok. I've got a TikTok, yet. but I've deleted yeah. the app because it's such a <laughs> waste of time. I find myself just like... Uh, it's carnage. Numb, numb. Oh, yeah, it just does your head in. Like an hour, suddenly you go, oh, Christ, I've flicked on like a thousand TikToks here. Anyways, then, you've been a pleasure. Um, All the best with everything else that you're going to cover. I think we should try and shoot a video one day. Love to, yeah, brilliant. You want me to come down to Wisley with that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you boys are welcome. You boys are welcome. I need, a, I need, a, I need a mental. Um, well, out of the three things that Valdo said, I don't particularly have technical um, strength. I don't particularly have physical, physical <laughs> strength. But I don't particularly have mental strength at the moment. So, if all three could be worked on, please, that'd be great. Oh, yeah, it'd take twenty minutes or so. <laughs> depends on how much, how much we're going to play for. <laughs> yeah, it depends on what you tell me. <laughs> Zane, you've been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure you like and subscribe, and we shall see you soon next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.